pick it back up in verse 6. Now somewhere between the other day and today, a, a frog jumped in my throat and I've been trying to get him out ever since. You might appreciate that, amen, I don't know. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, thank you, Lord, for the snow. It reminds us that your precious blood has washed us white as snow. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the snow and how it uh, covers up all the dirt across the countryside. Now we've lost the color of the trees, but you've given us the purity of the snow. And Father, I pray that you meet with us now. I pray that you'd open our eyes we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, this book is still the book that we need. Father, your word told us that we are clean through the word which you've spoken to us. Now, Father, I pray that you now wash us in that word and wash us in your blood. And Father, teach us something from the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, verse 6 in chapter 3. We're moving right along. Almost done with this uh, very short epistle here. All right, verse uh, 6, the Bible says in uh, chapter 3 here. If I can find there it is. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor, that's the key word, and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So that's Paul, he's... He's working first shift, second shift, sometimes into third shift. You ever done that? <laughs> Someone says, well, I, I worked uh, 12 hours today. You say, oh, you worked half a day, man. <laughs> and if you're not careful as a Christian, uh, you can be on either side of that fence. You can be lazier than a pet coon, right? Not working at all. That's not good. And that's what Paul's talking about. Or you can be that person who works so much that you become self-righteous in all that you've done. There's a warning on both sides. But here Paul's specifically talking about <clears throat> this, uh, withdrawing fellowship from other Christians who refuse to work. He says, verse 8, <clears throat> Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Look at verse 9. Not because we have not power. So Paul has the right as an apostle uh, he preached the gospel, so he should be able to live of the gospel. That's scriptural. That's what he taught. Uh, Paul could have done that. But the interesting thing about Paul, he was such a man of character that he was more concerned about those people, that church, than he wanted his own bank account. He would preach something, and he would say, look, this is the right way to do it, but he was concerned about these young Christians. He was more concerned about them than he was himself. He was more interested in the Thessalonians that he was ministering to, even though he had the right to mandate, if I could say it like that, a paycheck. All right, so Paul says in verse 9, Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. Here again, Paul, you know what he's saying? You need to follow us. And you see that in Scripture with the Apostle Paul. He's not ashamed to say, look, follow me. Now, if a man, I've said this before, and I preach this, and I believe it. I just don't preach it. But if a man can lead, I'll follow. But if a man can't lead, get out of the way, I'll lead. Amen. And Paul's saying here, you need to follow us. Look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you. 
Now look, before we get into this thing here, I want you to understand you and I are now in this generation where we have stopped raising leaders. We have stopped developing men and women that can lead. And as a consequence of that, if, if you look real quick with me, I want you to show one of, the, one of the signs that you know we are definitely in the last days is Isaiah chapter 3. We no longer bring up men and women that can lead. And you notice this whole gender identity crisis is going to further destroy any type of leadership that this country ever could produce. Now, our forefathers had their problems, amen? But man, I'll tell you what, they were a generation that could lead. They were a generation that God used to bring forth this nation upon this continent, develop things, systems, under the blessing and hand of God. But look at Isaiah chapter 3. I believe it's around, I think it's verse 6, if I'm in the right place. Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3, look at verse 6. No, that's not it. Children are the rulers. Where's that at? Is that 3? Am I... 12, thank you. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be... Nope, that's 2. 2. As for my people, 312. Children are their oppressors. Uh-oh, and women rule over them. Now, ladies, at ease, retract the clause for just a second. You realize that you are supposed to lead certain aspects of your life. You are. There's nothing wrong with you leading other women. And you know what? In the secular world that we live in, many women lead men. Women lead children. They guide the home. They guide the house. But in the scriptural setting, in the church setting, a woman's not to rule over a man. She's not to exercise authority over a man. But here's the thing. You notice the judgment of God on a country is when the children become the oppressors. Doesn't that sound like today? For the last 20 years, the children now have more rights than you do. You that are going to have children, man, you got a tough road to hoe. When I got out of line as a kid... Mom or dad would take me out in the parking lot and wear me out, man. You do that now, you go to jail. Why? Children are now the oppressors. You say, why? Men walked away from God. This country's walked away from God. You know that already. I'm not, it's like, oh, spoiler here. <laughs> but here's the thing in verse 12, it says, For my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. All right, so, but he's saying back in 2 Thessalonians 3, 9 uh, that you need to follow us. And look what he says in verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So if you're following what Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 6, you know what you're supposed to do? It's a tough one. I'll tell you why it's a tough one, because people say they believe the Bible, but then when it comes down to the brass tacks of actually believing and following through, it's a much different story. If you're honest with yourself, we can all play games, amen? You, if you're going to follow what Paul says, you are then to withdraw yourself from lazy Christians who will not work and provide for their own family. We're not talking about someone who's on hard times. We're not talking about the exception. We're talking about a child of God 
who knows better, a man who's not willing to provide for his own house, and he's living off the government. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to back off him. You're supposed to separate from him. Now, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Uh, matter of fact, some of you might even be thinking, well, that's, uh, that's kind of harsh. That's the Bible. You know why, why one of the reasons of the church is in such a mess that it's in is simply because we no longer follow the Bible. Now, look, there's balance to that thing. Just because someone doesn't have a job, you don't you know, put, put the hex on the curse on them. You know what I'm saying? Because, look, uh, I've lost jobs. I've lost careers. Amen. I've been without work. But for the most part, I've always had another one in the stove. You know, we're not talking about, we're talking about a mooch. Someone who won't work. Someone who won't provide. And, and that definitely is a societal problem, amen? But it's also a problem in the body of Christ, and it goes all the way back here to, uh, you know, around the time that Paul's writing this epistle. Remember, the early church was bringing stuff in, and it was more communal. Look, we're not a communal church. We are not a charity. People talk to me from time to time, say, uh, uh, do you have a charity? I'm like, no, we're a church. We're not a charity. And they look at me with something like this, you know, Catholic, and looking at a new gate look like, what does that even mean? I had a fellow down here. He's a nice enough guy. He says, do you have housing available? I'm like, excuse me? He says, I know you're a pastor. Your kids come into the gas station all the time, and they're always dressed real uh, nice and all that, but do you have housing? I'm like, I have a house, <laughs> but he's like, oh, no, I, you know, churches, I know, they have property, and they give it to people who are indigent. I'm like, man, if I had property, I, I wouldn't give it to people I don't know. <laughs> I'd sell it and make a buck off it. <laughs> come on. Uh, we're not a charity. Uh, people have come to church before. You may have known of it or seen it, and they'll come in, and they'll cry me a river. Oh, we're going through such a heart, and I'm not heartless. I've got to be careful because my heart's so big, I'll let anybody jump on it. At least once, amen. Oh, we're having a hard time. And one fellow said, my daughter's going to have brain surgery. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty rough. I said, why don't you have the doctor call me? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> out the door he went. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> what was he? Lazy. Guy come in here for a funeral one time, and he's a quote-unquote Christian, you know, I've known your dad for 20 years, and I used to do this with him. What are you doing now? Nothing. Well, why are you here? Oh, I was hoping I could stay in the parsonage. Well, have a good day. <laughs> See you later. Get a job. That's all. Amen? You say, rude. Well, come on. You not got a job? How you eating? Now, look, if it's paid for and you're working, you work that out between you and the Lord. Amen? Both hands in the air. I ain't got a job. I'm so poor. Yeah, you can't even see your kneecaps, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. We're talking about people who won't work, people who are mooches. And let me tell you what, not only is this country full of that, but the body of Christ is full of that stuff. That stuff ought to bother you. And not just to get angry and think you're better because you have a job. Look, if you have a job, you ought to praise the Lord for that thing. Because let me tell you what, I know the minimum wage is super high, right? But you ever notice how many jobs won't hire you full-time? Everyone's hiring, but they're not hiring full-time. What a, what a bad deal. <laughs> to say something else, <laughs> a bunch of baloney, amen? But if you're going to follow what Paul says in, in chapter 3, verse 10, now look, this is old school. 
You say, why are you preaching old school? Because there ain't no school but the old school. If you're going to believe the Bible, you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to have to separate from lazy Christians. You ever wonder why Paul wants you to separate from lazy Christians? Well, first of all, because if you're not careful, that stink will, will drop out on you. Just like if you, if you hang around a, a covetous Christian, you know what's going to happen? You'll be bankrupt too in five years. Just give it time. You see what I mean? Not only that, you know why you're not supposed to? We'll cover these in a minute, but over in 1 Corinthians 5, there's a list. I'm talking about secondary separation, not just separation from the lost. I mean, look, when you get saved, you ought to separate yourself unto the Lord and separate yourself from the world. If you're going to separate from the world, you have to separate yourself unto the Lord. There's a lot of Christians who go, well, I don't do this, 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 and this. What do you do for God? Nothing. Well, you're just a separatist then. You ain't nothing special. You're supposed to separate yourself unto the Lord as well as from the world. All right, now look, you're supposed to withdraw yourself from lazy people who will not work and provide for their own family. And the context here is a disorderly man who will not work. Look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are what? Busybodies. You know, there's Christians I know right now working the system. Working it, baby. Well, I'm applying for disability. What's your disability? Well, you know, I got this pain right over here in my, le- what, your left cheek? I get it. You're a pain. You're working the system. You're lazy. If you're here this morning, I ain't talking about you. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone's got that Christian buddy, your Christian friend. They've tried ten times for disability, Amen. And all of a sudden they get disability and they get up and they praise the Lord. Oh, I have an income finally. And next thing you know, they're, they're building a barn for Bobby over here and they're, they're going snowmobiling on the weekend, right? Real disabled, aren't they? You know what that is? Someone you should separate from. Now that's Bible. All right, for we hear, verse 11, there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all but are busybodies. Now, it should anger you, not just because you have to go to work, but it should anger you because that's not how a Christian's conduct should be. I mean, we are sons of the king, right? We should conduct ourselves in a manner that represents the royal family well. And there's members of the body of Christ who are in the royal family, and they're nothing but a royal pain. Amen. Now, you can see clearly the context of what's disorderly. He says it's working not at all. I'm not talking about someone on on tough times, and um, some of you have had to have multiple part-time jobs to make it work. You've got a a young man that will come to church here. Every once in a while, he's working three part-time jobs, and he's going to college. And you'd but look, you wouldn't think of it, but that, he's always working or going to school, and he'll find time once every few weeks, and he'll slip in the back, and he'll come to church. <laughs> and next thing you see, uh, that thing about being a busybody in that verse. Uh, being a busybody, that's handled a whole different way, and we've uh, gone over that. But look at 1 Timothy 5.13 real quick. This thing ties together. When a man or a woman won't work, often becomes a busybody. And let me caution you, you do what the Lord wants you to, but listen, uh, 
there was a couple generations that insisted that their wives stay home and never hold a job outside the home. That's between you and the Lord and your husband. Amen? But listen, you run the risk of you making that woman stay home, and I'm no, no uh, Christians who got about as many brain cells as a double-A battery, and they're so insistent that their wife cannot hold a job, and you know, it's, you know what they've created? I'm not just preaching. I'm telling it's created busybodies. You keep that gal holed up in a house all day long, raising babies. Yes, that's a great thing for you to be a wife and a mother, but if you don't ever let her do anything but be inside the four walls of that house, she'll go nuts. Next thing you know, you'll have created a monster. And it's created generation, a busybody. Here's the thing. And Paul says the old women are supposed to teach the young women. What? To be a busybody? No. Now look at this thing, 1 Timothy 5.13. Bible says, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies. Here it is. Speaking things which they ought not. All right, so here's the thing. You ought not to keep company with a busybody. You find out some Christian's a busybody, I'm telling you what, you better go the other way. I didn't say you didn't say hi. We're not talking about that stuff. We're not talking about being rude or like the Amish shun people, right? You don't not say hello, but look, you don't invite them over for supper. You don't say, how you doing today? And let's sit down and talk for 30 minutes, right? You don't do that. You leave them alone. And you're not to have company with a busybody in the context of the passage in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. It's a reference to people that won't work. Now, if you want to know what's wrong in the local church, you're reading it. I'm not getting on anybody here. I want you to understand that the reason why God is not able to use many Christians in 2022 is because they're lazy. Boy, that went over like an egg salad sandwich and been sitting in the sun for two hours. <laughs> so you're not to have company with those busybodies and those people that won't work. But uh, there's some people, obviously, in um, Thessalonica that are not only refusing to work, but they went everywhere sounding out their grievances against the church and under the church. Listen, you need to remember that someone who is always complaining generally ain't doing nothing. Someone who's always complaining generally ain't doing nothing. I know that ain't good grammar, but that's the truth. <laughs> And they look busy, but they're not doing anything. You ever see that fellow? He's always got something to complain about. Oh, I'll tell you, you know, I, over here, and, and the doctor didn't treat me right, and, you know, and then they jipped me at Walmart, and I went to the drugstore, and they charged me. Always complaining. What are they doing? Nothing. They complain is what they're doing. And they're idle, so all they do is they go around, and they stick their nose in everyone else's business. And that is why Facebook has just taken off like a forest fire. For years, we were unable to intercept other people's business, right? Your mother, you have an old school bod, she'd say this. She'd say, uh, don't, uh, how'd it go? Never show your dirty laundry. Well, now it's on Facebook. Ain't no washing machine on Facebook. It's all that dirty laundry, right? It's spread all out for everyone to see. You know what? All you got to do is, we've got a stinking church page. All you got to do is click that little button there. And there's some Christian somewhere, you know, cussing and swearing about the bad day they're having. Shame on you. 
stinking busybody. You say, well, shame on you for having it. It's to broadcast the, the message, man. I get it's the devil's domain, but a bunch of busybodies doing nothing but what? Sounding out their grievances. I'll have a bad day. You know, what? So five people can get up. Oh, honey, it's going to be okay. Really? You need five people that are just as miserable and ridiculous as you are to get on there and tell you it's going to be all right? It's going over real good, ain't it? And then all of a sudden, that that blaring, uh, uh, trumpeting uh, Christian <laughs> will get on there, and they'll make this wild, ambiguous statement, and you'll be like, "Who in the fire they're even talking about? Well, you punk!" I mean, in our days, growing up, if you had a problem, you went and said something to somebody face to face. And if you couldn't do it without losing your cool, you shut up about it until you cooled down. Now you got to get on Facebook like you're the preacher of the first Baptist church of the world and set everyone straight, and nobody knows what you're talking about. What are you? You're a punk. Man, I tell you what. I better take a drink, man. Always sticking their noses in everyone else's business. And that's what Paul's again here. And that's why Paul's requiring a separation. Christians don't separate from that stuff anymore. You have to understand that. We have changed. We have the truth. We have more access to truth than we ever had before. But we do less of it than ever before. you got to realize the revealed truth and the revealed doctrinal truth that was our forefathers. In many ways, they were more obedient to the light that they had than we are now. Because we now have more light than anybody's got. And we do less with it. Paul says, separate. What do you do? Oh, tell me, or tell me all about it so I can talk to everyone else all about it. Bunch of punks, man. <clears throat> now look at verse 12. Paul says the word command again. And if you're that individual on Facebook and you're going to set the world straight because you're a gutless punk and you won't face someone that you've got a problem with, I hope the Lord blows up your water heater. Amen. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3.12. <coughs> Watch my water heater will blow up tonight. <clears throat> now them that are such, talking about those uh, disorderly, right? Those not working, lazy Christians. <clears throat> you pray for your preacher, man. He's a mess. We command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. You see it? Eat your own bread. Work your own job. Quit mooching off the system. I'm not talking about your retirement. I'm not talking... Look, by the time I'm 65 or 75 or God help us 85, if there's any Social Security left, I'll take it. There may or may not. I have no idea. (laughs) But I'm not talking about that. But with quietness, they work. and Look, the government taxes you and takes your money as long as you work and you're honest enough to claim it, right? So at time for Social Security, maybe they give a little bit of it back. All right, whatever. That's United States, their unscriptural system. We're not talking about that. But look at verse 13. But ye brethren, be not weary in what? And that well-doing is working. It is good to work. It is right to work, and it's well to work. And here it is, verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man... And have no company with him that he may be ashamed. There's there's why you do it. 
You don't separate because you're better. You don't separate because you're self-righteous. You don't separate but for the reason so he'll be ashamed of what he's doing. Remember over there in Jeremiah, I can't remember, was it 6? The Lord's talking about Israel, talking about their sins and their abominations. You know what he said about them? He said, neither could they blush. Remember, remember before television and the smartphones and the internet really has just now, it's completely jaded us and people get heads, arms and everything cut off and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. But remember a time where you used to be disturbed by some of that stuff? When someone gets shot between the eyes and your mother about to fall, oh, turn the channel. And now she goes, oh, that's a great headshot. Right? You remember a time when your sin used to bother you? Amen. Me too. But here is you've got Christians, they're not even ashamed and they're lazy as a pet coon. He says that he may be ashamed. Now here's the difficult part. It's easy to preach hard on it, isn't it? Amen. It's easy to throw up the flag and say, yeah, we're against not working. We're against milking the system. We're against being dishonest. But here's the difficult part. Now it requires faith to do what the Bible says. That's a difficult thing to do because now he's telling you not to have company uh, with a saved individual. You have a responsibility to not only obey the scriptures, but now to have faith that God's going to take care of it if you do the right thing. And here's what's difficult about it. And you, uh, you don't have company with them because they won't work. And listen, the mindset of talking to Christians these days is literally off the rails. Generally, if you approach somebody about their sin, even if you do it in the right spirit, they're going to climb in your front door for it. Why? Because rebellion. We preached on that last week. Many Christians are settled into the throes of rebellion. They're just waiting for someone to challenge them. 1776, babe. Come on, King George. We got one or two for you, right? Come take my guns. I dare. Okay, fine. Help yourself. I got one or two. Price of ammo, man. I, I, I can't even afford to have a revolution. <laughs> but look, it, it makes it a very difficult thing because the individual's going around from house to house, right? That was the old days. They'd travel house to house. And who got the rap for it? The gal did. Why? Because she was always home. And he's always off working, right? And now, uh, a couple generations later, it's on the phone, and now it's on Facebook, on www, sticking their nose in other people's business, and makes it a difficult thing. But Paul in verse 9, go back there for just a second to verse 9, Paul's saying that he wants everyone to realize that even though he has the right as an apostle, he's working night and day. He's working night and day, so working for your preacher is not wrong. Uh, when Paul ran low on money, Paul went out and made tents. And Paul didn't become a burden to people even though he could have. And he had the right to do so. So Paul says, follow us in verse 9. See that? You notice in 2022, it's hard to get anyone to follow you if you're doing the right thing. Even as a preacher, it's hard to get the church folk to follow you. You believe you're doing what God wants you to do. And it's hard to get people to follow you, and people will follow basically what they want to do. And that's uh, why the Word of God has become, in most Bible-believing churches, of none effect. Because Christians won't follow the Word of God. They won't follow the preacher. 
And uh, we know, uh, take your Bible, look at Amos chapter 8 for a second. We know there's a famine in the land, amen? There's a famine definitely in the land. And that famine is not of the Word of God. Even though it's getting more difficult and more difficult to find a church that will truly preach the King James Bible. I understand that there's 7,000 which haven't bowed the knee to Baal. That's 1 Kings 18. But in Amos chapter 8, look at verse 11. The Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of what? Hearing the words of the Lord. It didn't say a famine of the word of the Lord. It said a famine of hearing. You have to tell me in 2022, you still got the book, but people ain't hearing it. That's the famine. You imagine walking out of a Bible-believing church, a, a church where a preacher and the people claim to believe the King James Bible from cover to cover, walking out of a sermon which uh, your preacher preached and preached the Word of God the best that he knew how to preach his guts out and walk out and not do anything with it. That's what he's talking about. Nobody's hearing. Why? Well, we... Kind of covered that last week. The Lord kind of reached down from heaven and stuck his big old fingers in your ear because you didn't want to hear it. That's the famine. All right. Now go ahead uh, back to uh, 2 Thessalonians 3. Now this is tough stuff, but it's meant to be tough. This stuff is corrective in nature. And when you uh, preach and teach the Bible, it needs to be preached hot. It needs to be preached heavy. It needs to be preached, uh, in my estimation, aggressive in some ways. Why? Because we're, we're too lackadaisical on some of this stuff. We just let everything come into the church house. We let everything come into our Christian life. We let everything come into the living room. And, 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 and the Lord's like, no. Paul says, follow me. Follow my example here. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. All right, so Paul says you're to have no company with this individual that is disorderly. So here he's talking about secondary separation. Secondary separation. That secondary separation, like I said earlier, that has to do with separating from Christians. And the body of Christ knows very little about this. Now listen, with everything, you're supposed to have a balance. If you're not careful, you'll become the hyper pharisaical individual who separates from everyone, including your mother. Why? Because, you know, you're supposed to tie your, your shoes uh, with the King James Bible on your right hand instead of your left. We're not talking about that hyper stuff. We're talking about scriptural instances. I just made that up. It made no sense. But I'm talking about you've got to have balance, but there is secondary separation where you separate from individuals, according to the Bible, that Paul says. All right? Now, um, let me show you. We've covered these before. Let's hit them real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's separation from the saved individual, so God can deal with them. It's not separation from them because you're better. It's not separation from them because uh, Christians are supposed to be mean. It's separation from that individual, you having the faith that God can then deal with that individual the way that the Bible says so. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. All right, the Bible says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not all the gay of the fornicators of this world. See, he makes the distinction, the delineation. He's not talking about uh, you can't ever deal with the fornicator because most of you have had to work with fornicators. 
And if you separate from all the fornicators, you wouldn't even be able to go to Walmart. You wouldn't be able to go to work. You wouldn't be able to get out of bed. You'd have to lock yourself in a box. Well, I can't shop at Walmart because they support the queers. Everyone supports the queers, honey. Get over it. You're in the world, not of the world. Well, I just think, fine, help yourself. Quit shoving it on me, amen? This is what Paul is talking about. Yet not altogether with fornicators or with the covetous or extortion with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world. Paul's saying, look, if you're going to separate from everything I'm talking about in the lost world, you're going to have to kill yourself to do it. So you've got to have the balance. But here it is. He clarifies at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a what? A brother. So there it is. That's secondary separation. You separate unto God, you separate from the world, and now there are Christians that you are going to have to separate from. He said, call the brother, be a fornicator, a covetous, I'll just write these up here, a fornicator, covetous. What's the next one? Idolater. got to remember at the time that Paul is writing this, idolatry is still a very much common practice, as in the bowing down to idols of wood and stone. You and I can spiritualize the thing, anything you put above the Lord Jesus Christ, but if that's the case, you've got to keep careful the balance because everyone in here is an idolater. Everyone in here has put things before the Lord Jesus Christ, but in the direct context of the passage, he's talking about bowing down to gods of wood and stone made by men's hands. All right, and uh, number four, a railer. A railer, that's an interesting one. You ever stop and think about that railer? You know what a railer is? Webster's 1828, make you look smart. One who scoffs, one who insults, one who censures, or reproaches with, you ready for this? Approbrious, (laughs) approbrious language. What's that? A sarcastic jerk. You see that? You ever notice people love to be sarcastic? Just, I'm not talking about having a little bit of fun, but some people live, breathe, and die by it. They ain't saying nothing unless it's sarcastic. You know what that is? That's a sign of their bitterness. Something didn't go the way they thought it should, so every time, well, you know, I'll tell you, well, just sarcastic, nothing serious. You know what the Bible says? You separate from that railer. That stink's going to rub off on you, man. Well, then you got the drunkard. Well, separate from the drunkard. Amen. And then you separate from the extortioner. And these people are uh, known Christians. Look over to Galatians chapter 1. Secondary separation is part of your Christian duty. And you gotta, you got to temper that thing with balance. You can't be hyper on it. If you're always in such a huff to separate from everyone you think's doing wrong, guess what? <laughs> Your turn's coming. <laughs> They'll be separating from you. We're not saying you overlook it. We're just saying you got to have a balance on how far you take it. All right, Galatians 6, 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. All right, so if you're the spiritual one, 
then what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to seek to restore them. All right, you seek to restore them before you separate from them. Look, you don't become their buddy so they can have, you can have, they can just become someone to have pity on. You seek their restoration in the spirit of meekness. Why? Because if you're not careful about that thing, that devil will throw that same thing right in front of you. You start getting all pharisaical about your, your purity and, you know, you start touting about your marriage. I tell you what, I've been married for 385 years and I can't believe why someone, you can't believe why someone had marriage trouble? I'll tell you why, buddy. Because your wife has a whole lot more grace than you do. Amen. I've heard big mouth people go across this country and, and rail on people who've had marriage trouble. Let me tell you what. I've had a lot of other trouble, but I haven't had marriage trouble. I should have had marriage trouble. Let me tell you what, if you don't have marriage trouble, you got other trouble. And if you don't have other trouble, well, you might have some marriage trouble. You just ever stop and think that not everyone has uh, been given the sweet, perfect little marriage that you have? You ever stop and think some people just going to have a rough go at it? I get tired of that stuff, man. <clears throat> but you, you seek their restoration. You leave them alone and God let God deal with them, but you separate from them. You don't go eat a meal with them. You don't go invite them into your house so they can infect your mind and infect your heart and sway your opinion and get you away from the Bible. You separate from them. You stop associating from, with them. You stop answering their calls. You stop letting them dictate when you're going to text them. You've got to be careful of that texting thing. Why does anyone have access to you 24-7? They pay your phone bill? No one should have 24-7 access to you but the Lord. You've got to learn to put that thing on silent. <laughs> or off, yeah, amen. The older I get, the more I want to just leave it off. I can't, <laughs> right? I like the one that says, uh, I'm out of my mind. Please leave me a message. That'll work. You stop answering their calls. You stop at why? You're separating from them. Why? So God can deal with them. We're doing all right this morning. A tough thing, but I don't know how else to approach that thing. God said it. You ought to do it. And then you got to have the faith, which is difficult, that God will let that thing turn out the way it should. And look, there's, there's no ulterior motive for why I'm preaching. It's in the passage. We're going through it. And I believe this, and I believe this is how you ought to handle it. But there's some dangers. You can't be hyper-pharisaical with it. You can't get over dogmatic with the stuff. Why? You have to ask the Lord for balance on that thing. And uh, then in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, it says the same about the disorderly walk. The disorderly walk. That's uh, lazy Christians. That's uh, Some people laugh and call them moochinaries. You know, it always... You say, well, you don't understand, you're not, you're, you're right, I haven't done anything for the Lord, I've, I've got so far to go, you know, and I've never sacrificed anything. But some missionaries, they run around the country, what are they doing? I don't know, they're getting support checks every month, I ain't got a clue about it, man. <laughs> go around the country, pop out kids, isn't Jesus wonderful? I don't know, you give me your support, he might be a little bit more wonderful. You say you sound bitter, and I'm just telling you the truth. You work? Well, uh, let me show you this thing in Titus 3, uh, and we'll, we'll call it a morning here. <clears throat> now, secondary separation is a difficult thing, man. 
It's a difficult thing, and there's some parameters. We're not done with it. We're, we're almost right to the center of this thing, but you owe it to that brother to give him a reason why you're separating him. You know what a lot of Christians do? They pull the plug out of another brother, and they never tell him why. Are you listening? I'm telling you the truth. See, that's, that, that's kind of like the, the slam dunk piece. Well, I'm separating from so-and-so. Okay, well, praise the Lord if you're doing it. Did you tell him? Uh, no, you're out of order. We'll get to that next time we're together. You've got to tell them. You don't just, you don't drop fellowship and, and make them wonder. That's not fair. If you're going to stop fellowship with somebody, you owe it to them to tell them why. Well, look at Titus 3.8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and YouTube and Facebook, and I threw those in there. Strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Verse 10, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. All right, so if a man's a heretic, then you're supposed to get away from him. You separate from him. That's a heretic. What is that? That's doctrinal differences. I'm not talking about... Secondary, we're not talking about how you dress. We're not talking about how, what music you listen to. We're not talking about where you will and will not go to eat. We're talking someone has a problem with the scriptures, doctrinal things. A heretic, after the second admonition, you reject him. You leave him alone. You got Amish friends, you stop messing around with them. You got Mennonite friends, you stop messing around. Why? They're heretics. They don't believe in eternal security, and the Amish believes in working for their salvation. And the list goes on. You don't sit there, well, one day I'm going to win them to Jesus. Two times, and you separate from them. And uh, we'll pick up the rest of the secondary separation later. All right, that's enough.